Welcome inside the Design Lab. I'm your host, Daniel Hinch, resident engineer here at the Supply Frame Design Lab in Pasadena, California. And I am joined again this week by my staff of... Magenta Strongheart, staff designer and community programming coordinator. Giovanni Salinas, product designer. Welcome back, Magenta. We missed you the last recording two weeks ago. Yeah. Thank you. And, uh, <laughs> Happy to be back. It was a. Uh, it felt like an incomplete podcast without you here. Ah, that's so sweet. <laughs> and and it seriously devolved into ten minutes of us talking about Rocky movies at the end. So uh, there was. I see a correlation with the uh, agenda for today. With the agenda for today, yeah. So let's uh, let's let's jump right into it. What is Magenta's favorite Rocky movie? So. Um, Honestly, Creed, okay. which is the latest. Does right. it still count? As Absolutely. It does, yeah, right? It's a it's Rocky movie. The, uh, Rocky stars in it. Yeah. Um, so that's probably my favorite. Um, but I have seen one of the originals, but I don't know which one it was. What happens in it? Which is terrible. Um, Basically, how does it end? It's been a while since I saw it. Uh, I really don't remember. Does he fight a Russian? No. What are the other options? France dies. Uh, does does uh, does the boxer we wear? Should say um, red, white, he, and blue trunks. Does he punch uh, uh, some raw meat? Mister T. Yes, he definitely punches some raw meat. Does he fight Mister T? No. Okay, so it's not three and it's not four. I can't imagine you saw five. I think I probably saw the first and one. The, the first one. So. It was probably the first one. Okay, cool. First who does second. he fight in the first one? He fights uh, Apollo Creed in the first one, who is... Yeah. Uh, yeah but he I fights Apollo Creed in the second one, too. I'm did, pretty sure... Sh- spoiler alert. Did yeah, Rocky win or lose? Spoiler alert. He lost. He lost. You saw the first one, then. Nice. Did he shout, Adrian! Yes. Wow. <laughs> Congratulations, Giovanni. Uh Fantastic! So uh, I'm surprised that Magenta actually saw the the, the I knew Rocky that's what movie. Was coming. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm I'm absolutely positive you didn't just go over there and YouTube a whole bunch of clips quickly so that you could answer intelligently. No, I didn't even see the agenda until I was already on my way over to the podcast recording cool. station. Right on. But um, yeah, but I saw it definitely because I was going to see Creed, and I was like, I want to at least see one of these before I go see that. But cool. I'm really excited. Creed Two is coming out. Oh, really? Soon, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, Michael B. Jordan is training. Whoa. Didn't know that either. Yep. Who is Michael B. Jordan? He's the one that stars in, in Creed. Oh. He's like the new the new guy that Rocky trains. Right. And I and imagine... he's related to Apollo. Yeah, somehow, I don't... But I, don't, I can't remember I don't the details. I don't think I've actually seen Creed. I saw, mm-hmm. I saw Rocky Balboa, and then Creed was sort of the second of the new generation of movies, and... Mm-hmm. Is Rocky Balboa or Rocky Five where he gives this uh, motivational speech to his son that where he says it's not uh, how hard you can punch but how many punches you can take and keep going? I think if you know, I I know kids show up in the in the older movies, but I honestly don't remember Rocky Five. I don't know if I've ever actually seen it. Uh, his son is in his. He has an he has a an older son in Rocky yes. Balboa. Well, it, yeah, I don't remember which one it was. Right, and that's where he comes back after ESPN does the the. Wow, we have completely lost <laughs> yeah. our entire uh, listenership. And I've looked at the and statistics magenta. <laughs> and magenta. Yeah, we our, our listenership has uh, we've reached our core. Let's put it that way. <laughs> we have we have reached the. 
the absolute core of our listening audience. So uh, thank you, Magenta, <laughs> for, for uh, rounding us off from our conversation from two weeks ago. Uh, the reason we did not record last week is because I was again in uh, Kansas City doing another install of Willow, and that went well. We had some variation in the hospital rooms that we were installing into, which was kind of surprising. The first couple of rooms that we had installed previously were all the same. Uh, this trip, it turns out that the rooms on this particular hospital unit, which is the short-term stay unit at Shawnee Mission Medical Center, were all different. So the sinks were in different places. Hand wash units were in different places. Soap dispensers were in different places. P TVs were in different places. And because of all the different configurations, each room wound up having to be kind of a custom install, which wound up being somewhat tricky. And there wasn't uh, enough, there was barely enough room, I should say, in some locations to do the placement. It just wound up taking uh, a little bit longer than I expected it would. I thought it would take us about an hour or two to do 15 rooms, and it wound up taking us about four hours. But as it is, we've got 15 rooms installed. We were starting to pull data back from that, and uh, and it was a success overall, I'd say. And Super exciting. Yeah. Do you but know much about how the software is getting developed for it? Or I do the not. Interface? I do not. That's all happening over at mm -hmm. the at main the main office. office. Uh, and I don't, I don't get much exposure to that just because I'm, you know, so busy with the, yeah. with the enclosures and stuff over here with you guys. The other uh, thing that I did was before I went to Kansas City, I went to Chicago and I visited Chris Gamble uh, of the Amp Hour, friend nice. of this show and a uh, friend of mine, Gamble, former Gamble, Gamble. Supply Frame <laughs> employee, uh, just general all around good guy. If, uh, if you're a listener right now and you have not heard the Amp Hour with Chris Gamble and Dave Jones of the EEV blog, we highly recommend checking it out. That's where I first started listening to podcasts specifically about electronics and it's a, just a fantastic uh, podcast. Chris is a very knowledgeable guy uh, and he works for a company called Hologram right now in Chicago out of a place called M-Hub, which is a much larger version, let's say, of the design lab. The design lab is 4,000 square feet. I wouldn't be surprised if M-Hub in Chicago was 40,000 square feet. It is the design lab on on all kinds of anabolic steroids. They have pretty much duplicates of the equipment that we have here. And then, a lot, and, and then a lot more. So they have they have a Tormach, just like we do, a PCNC 1100, but then they also have two Haas milling machines and then four bridge ports and then two lathes. Wow. Right? So, mm -hmm. and that's and that's just stuck over in the corner. I do have to say we outshine them. Uh, can you guess what we have more of than they do? Form labs. <laughs> form labs. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we definitely have more form labs than, than most facilities. Uh, but we, boy, do we certainly use the, uh, those machines. And is M-Hub um, like a makerspace or co-working space? It's a, it's a little bit of both. It's, it's, I would say it's more like the Lacretz Innovation Campus uh, here in Los Angeles where they have co-working space and then they have a machine shop and a wood shop and electronics and test and assembly. And you gain access to these things at various different membership levels. So you can have a full office there if you want. You can have multiple offices. You can just have a co-working desk or a hot desk. You can get a hot desk and access to the machine shop, or you can get access to the whole kit and caboodle, and that determines that's all determined by your membership level. 
Did they have any like um, material resources available? I always wonder, like, I've noticed sort of 50-50 with these kinds of spaces, whether they have a little resale center or not right. um, they, within them. The, Chris doesn't use the any of the equipment there that would because he's not doing any machining mm-hmm. and he's not doing any woodworking. So he doesn't really have much insight into that. But he showed me where they had, uh, you know, large stock storage mm-hmm. for the members. members. I don't know if they have really have retail or, or like a resale thing there for stock. It would be foolish if they didn't. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, a tech shop had that, right? Yeah. Yeah. They, I know uh, some... oddly, Inventables, I guess, is in Chicago. Yes, it and, is. And they you can have get delivered like next day. It's they like have master almost. an amazing swatch display of materials that they it's a it's a big rolling rack mm-hmm. with uh with different swatches of acrylic and wood and and HDPE oh, and cool. LDPE. Inspiring. Yeah, <laughs> and just just sit, walk up and you pick it up and you look at it and you can see how the light reflect off of it or mm. through it. And then it's got the Inventables, uh, you know, uh, product number right there and you can just go buy it and nice. I imagine get it delivered same day or maybe Inventables has got if, if Inventables. Sometimes you can go pick up from their space, but they prefer yeah. to deliver. They don't sure. really like you to pick up. Uh, so it was uh, it was a very impressive space. Uh, really thank all the staff there for showing me around and for taking the time to talk with me. I really appreciate it. We've got some pictures of it up on the Twitter feed. I'll link to those in the show notes. And um, talking about that, I saw that they have a plastic injector too. Yes, they exactly have the, they same have the exact same have. Morgan press that we do. They had a... Any impressions? Yeah, they love it. They really love it. They have... They, they had been working with an enclosure for... They they had just had, I think, their two-year anniversary or their one-year anniversary or something like that. And so they had badges made for the event, some electronics badges, and they wanted a small enclosure for it. So they had a mold in the machine <laughs> for the enclosure. And they had been having some issues because they were trying to do it with uh, with polyethylene and they were having a lot of shrinkage. Mm. So that they would get good shots and then they'd open the mold and then as soon as it cooled off, the thing just shrunk. So, I mean, that's a matter of, you know, understanding how much material you need, the wall thickness and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Basically, the the way to solve that problem is to know how to do injection molding, (laughs) right? (laughs) So they they were having some issues with that particular mold, but I think that was sort of a one-off for them. They've got, uh, they had at least half a dozen other molds that were sitting around uh, that, that have been unmounted so that they could do the, the injection for the badges. They had a vacuum forming machine that was really cool. They had a bunch nice. of like Vader masks that they had made, Darth Vader Why masks. Why is that always, my school had a Darth Vader mask. Right? They have like, Darth you, Vader you, masks. you vacuum form Darth Vader masks and you 3D print Yoda heads. Yep. That's the thing. That's the way it goes. We should get one of those machines. A vacuum former? Yes. That would be so awesome. They had, Aren't we going to make the ShopBot bed one section of it into a vacuum former? Yeah, we're gonna, <laughs> we're, we will eventually get there. They had a form tech, uh, which is something that I had looked at before, but for the amount that we would use it, it just is way too expensive. The footprint also is just in, huge. The, in our space. Yeah. I mean, to make it worthwhile, we probably want a two by four. Yeah, um, and they you know, are they're, they're very physically large. Yeah. And for a... For an industrial built one, you're talking upwards of twenty thousand dollars, and 
you know, I mean, how much, how much vacuum forming would we have done so far? I no. mean, certainly more than we have done since we don't have a vacuum former. But, greater than zero. <laughs> yeah, <but>. exactly. <laughs> the volume would be greater than zero. However, uh, I don't know that it would have been enough at this point to justify that kind of expenditure. Yeah. That said, uh, Ben Sachs, friend of the show and former resident uh, of the, the design lab with the Perceptoscope project, has been talking about doing vacuum forming for, wow, over a year now. And, and we've got bits he's and gone pieces and done of it. it. A few places, he's gone right? to he's gone to a couple of places to get it done, but yeah. we have bits and pieces of a vacuum former here that we could make. Mm. Um, I don't know yeah, what quality sort of we would DIY get. But yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not together. that complex. It's not that complex a design for a vacuum forming machine. You need obviously a vacuum source. You need a plenum to distribute the vacuum. You need a heating element. Uh, you need some kind of diffuser Frame. for the heating. Uh, yeah. to, to ensure that you get a full uh, distribution or an even distribution of the heat across the plastic. You need some frame to hold everything rigid and then yeah. some way of sliding it rapidly from the heating source to yeah. your to your vacuum mold. It's crazy. A lot of the um, vacuum formers I've seen are just open coil. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that's, that's, just, that's what we've got back here. It's just, yeah. a big, just a big resistance element. You'd think that there would it's be crazy. some kind of crazy, like, yeah. you know, air blower. And, no, it's just yeah. right there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just, you know, brah. Hanging out. <laughs> don't be surprised if one day you, you don't find the shop back. <laughs> I don't find the what? The shop back. The shop back. Vac. Oh, Vac the shop use. back. Oh, okay, yes. Sorry, I was getting <laughs> caught up on, on people's accents. Speaking of accents, what in God's name am I wearing that is so cool today, Magenta? Oh, fly knits. Fly. Has nothing to do with the accent. <laughs> no, well, I still don't know what it's you're a, saying. It's a type of shoe. It's the tennis shoe you're wearing. I'm wearing fly knits. Fly knits. Fly. 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 Knit like K N I T S, like knit material. Oh. Fly knit. That's I, the style of. So, so I'm, you so I'm wearing, started wearing so I am, I am wearing <laughs> fly knits now. Are, and I'm not using mean, fly as the descriptor, like that's uh, fly, okay. it's actually part okay. of the typology. So it is in <laughs> fact an F-L-Y-K-N-I-T-S. Those are some fly, I-T-S. fly knits would be a proper way to say that if See, I was going to say that. It would not be. I am wearing, in fact, even if it sounded some amazing <laughs> fly knits today. Yeah. They are amazing. We will fly take pictures and post them to the show notes, obviously. <laughs> So fly knits, uh, what, why, so it, why, why are these called fly knits? I think it's just a matter of using like the knit material, um, uh, for a, a running shoe, right. but I'm going to Google it really quick just so I'm not misinforming our, our audience. Who, if we didn't lose them at the, <laughs> uh, at the beginning with our, with our, our, <laughs> our Rocky redo, uh, we will have lost them now as we talk about <laughs> Dan's fashion sense and shoes. A fly knit featuring high strength fibers to create lightweight uppers. Nike fly knit technology provides support and breathability for each cut, stride, or strike. But you actually have Adidas. I do fly knits. I'd like to. So I don't know if they're called fly knits anymore. If they're not Nike, Adidas. Adidas. Genau. Is it Adidas or Adidas? Adidas. <laughs> Oh, that's a Greek company, I think. No. So Adidas actually calls them Prime Knits. Prime Knits? Ooh. Yeah. I'm wearing Fly Prime Knits. The Fly Knit for Nike and Prime Knit for Adidas. Hmm. Prime Knit. Nike like versus an Amazon Adidas service. in the battle for the Prime knitted Net. shoes. <laughs> uh, I honestly These are the just... very ones you're wearing, right? Are they? Yeah. They're like the first 
thing that pops up on Google search. You're so fly. I am <laughs> with the your trendsetter. prime prime nits. <laughs> I am the prime. I am the alpha. Thank you, single audience uh, <laughs> yeah. listener. Thank it you. Was a pleasure. Drew, Drew Fastini, <laughs> our only listener remaining at this point. Thanks, Drew. It was cool. <laughs> yeah, it was very nice of you. But at this point, we've probably lost him, too. We're only talking to ourselves and probably Giovanni's cousin somewhere in Mexico. <laughs> uh, do, do we get downloads? Yeah. That's a good point. I should check the statistics. That, that would be interesting. Yeah. Then you can hold it over your family's yeah. head. <laughs> like, hey, you said you listened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, this is, in fact, our uh, 20th recording. And I know that because I did kind of briefly peek at the stats. I wanted to find out where we were. Uh, this is uh, the 20th time that, that I've sat down and recorded this podcast. Uh, I think it's probably the sixth or seventh time that the three of us have recorded. Mm-hmm. Um which is good. I'm glad that we're able to do this consistently, even though it, you know, work, travel, and and whatnot do kind of get in the way on occasion. But uh, thank you guys very much for for taking the time. I know, you know, it's sort of Friday afternoon. It's the end of the day, and the last thing any of us really wants to do right now is sit here mm-hmm. and stare and talk to each other any further. But uh, but it's it's, it's good. A nice wrap up to the week. It is. Yeah. Oh yeah. And Over since we you. we didn't have a chance to have a staff meeting today, I guess this. Uh, this kind of uh, serves as that. <laughs> True. We had a uh, we had an intern uh, uh, ap- applicant an yes. intern applicant come by the lab today, which was really cool. This was uh, I don't advertise uh, in any internship or any positions here at yeah, the lab. Yeah, that was my first question: was how they found out about the uh, right position and the lab in general. And when I go to these career events at at uh, I've been to one at Art Center. I've been to a couple at Caltech. Like I went to one at Pasadena Community College. I do get students that come up and ask me about. They they primarily they they always ask about working at Supply Frame for an internship. They mm-hmm. all want some sort of software design. Uh, but there is a handful, especially at Caltech, that come by that are very curious about the design lab and curious about mechanical engineering. Yeah. And how can I work at the lab? Do you guys offer internships? And the answer to that question is yes, but you've got to ask. Yeah. You know, I don't advertise this. The only way you get to work here is by follow through. And that is seemingly an impossibility for, for some people. <laughs> like they were, yeah. there was somebody that I spoke with at Caltech that face to face, they were very enthusiastic about it, gave them my business card. Uh, you never heard from them and again. And never heard from them again. Fun fact, uh, Magenta started as an intern. This is absolutely <laughs> true. Uh, and Magenta followed up, and uh, and then I followed up, and consequently I was able to... Uh, I'm looking for the specific word. Uh, it's not harass. Uh, it <laughs> is recruit. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> I was able to recruit Magenta back to the design lab. Uh, so uh, Jason came by uh, because they sent an email saying that they had found out about the lab through a contact they had at JPL. And then at some point they had met Shuli mm-hmm. and Shuli had answered some questions that Jason had had about the lab. And so consequently sent me an email and said, I'm really interested in finding out more about the lab. Do you guys have any internships? Uh, Jason is a freshman, freshman. a freshman, yeah, freshman. at... Oh boy, I don't know. I don't remember either. I don't remember what it was. It's RPI, the 
Rensel Rensler. Oh yeah, Rensler Rensel Rensler Rensler Polytechnic Institute. And it's on the East Coast, right? Yeah, it's in Troy, New York. Okay, yeah. And he's a mechanical engineering, first-year mechanical engineering student. And just sent me an email completely out of the blue while I was in Kansas City and said they want to come have a tour, want to find out more about the lab, and were very interested in an internship. And so I responded, and then Jason responded, and then they came for a tour, and we talked, and then you had a chance to talk. Yeah, and it's really that simple. Yeah. Like if anybody would ever follow through on this stuff. <laughs> they uh, have so I, many opportunities they, at their fingertips. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's not just, it's not just me. I can imagine that all the other people that they're talking to, you know, it's just, a. Ma- I understand that if you're a student, you are super busy, but yeah. come on. Um, anyway, so. Yeah, uh, that's something I try to tell lots of um, students and people looking for uh, summer internships and things is just it never hurts to ask. Exactly. Even if you don't know that a place um, needs anyone, you know. And that is um, that is seriously low-hanging fruit. Yeah. Especially ask. if you have a place you're really interested in and really passionate about that yeah. you're just like, ah, I don't think they're hiring or they have a position or whatever. I like, mean, if you're excited about it, they're kind of expecting you so, to ask for yeah. it. And when you don't, it's a little, it's almost yeah. weird, right? Yeah. Uh, so uh, we'll be keeping in touch with Jason, mm-hmm. and as he works uh, at finishing up their first year at RPI, <laughs> I, I'm just going to keep stumbling over that name until Jason corrects me, uh, we'll hopefully be able to Follow bring him up. in and, and yep. have a good summer intern uh, on the mechanical engineering side. Yes. So that was, that, was really, that was really gratifying to, yeah. to be able to talk with him today. Um, speaking of gratifying, uh, I realized, so I have this, I have this Garmin Phoenix watch, this Phoenix three watch. And, uh, about a week before I left for Kansas city, uh, the watch band broke and it's not like the watch band works, but it's the little like hold down Mm -hmm. slippy part where the, where the loose Mm. watch band goes through to hold it. And I have been intending to print one on the Taz because I can just print it in flexible filament on the Taz. Yes. But I couldn't because Giovanni's mold was taking 4,300 hours to print. Mm -hmm. 52 to be exact. 52 hours to print on the Taz. Uh, And then I came back and you guys had dismantled the Taz to actually Mm -hmm. get the print off of it. So, uh, but, but from a satisfying standpoint, I know that you took the mold and you actually gave it a test. Yes, yesterday's so how'd that turn out it went surprisingly well i so the story is this i'm working on a mold that will be printed in the form labs but we'll we'll know that resin is way more expensive than filament so i decided what if i just print the same version of the mold i didn't even modify it and print it with an fdm printer see how it goes i i Obviously, I'm not interested here in seeing the, the quality, you know, of the, of the casting. What I wanted to find is the plastic patterns and how, how it behaves, how the plastic behaves or resin behaves as I injected it. Because now I'm using a big um, syringe, mm-hmm. you know, to pump that resin. I'm not pouring it anymore because of the complex shapes we're injecting now. And... It went surprisingly well. I, 
I used a large syringe with a micro uh, aperture. 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 Mm -hmm. And it didn't fill 100%. I would say it filled 90, mm -hmm. 92%. And now I'm redesigning the, the sprue for a larger aperture. Right. So, and I, I think this is going to be the good one. So, why did you? Because I saw I saw the the end result, and there are some thin walls on there, and then it didn't. I think it didn't. It didn't fill up all the way to the top, yes. right? So, but you clearly you probably did. You have uh, urethane left over in the syringe. I did. So why did you stop? Well, I stopped because I just couldn't go any further. I kept pushing and resin just wouldn't oh it was just it was it seemed full and it started leaking out of the air vent sure every air vent top and and bottom right so yeah there must but, have been air or something in there right the yeah there, there was i just couldn't it. and i think it also started curing and as it cured it just couldn't move anymore right what's the pot life with that resin Four minutes, I think. Oh, that's the fast stuff. Four or five minutes. Yeah. Yes. So you've got to mix it, get it into the syringe, mount the syringe, and then start squeezing the syringe all from the moment you start mixing the material to the time you've got to be done. Yes, that's the thing. And I, and I was thinking I could I could mix it right in the syringe. No, it's too narrow. Is it? Yeah. yeah. yeah but I, I do think narrow. you could get the syringe and everything attached and ready to go before... Oh yeah, it was like that. Oh okay. Yeah, it yeah. just it, it by the time I poured that resin into the, yeah. the syringe, it was curing already. Right. We and might have the same um, stuff that has a little bit longer of a pot life. I can't remember. Yes, I think we do. And one another thing I can do is add some um, colorant. That Does the colorant act as a retardant. It out yes, a bit. that acts as that. So, but I, I didn't do it. It was just the first test. So yeah. Mm -hmm. exciting stuff to come i think i'll test the second sprue today cool right yeah. on how long does it take to cure not too long probably i mean with a four minute pot it's life an hour it's got to be right? yes 90, minutes. 90 minutes but this isn't the same stuff that we make about whoop what was that that was <laughs> that was hunter trying to move some uh some storage boxes around uh <laughs> But this isn't the stuff that we made the baffles out of, right? It is. It actually is. Oh, it is. I used some of the leftovers. It was so difficult to open the container. <laughs> really? Because yeah. our baffles are gray. Was that because you dyed them? Yes. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Cool. But it is exactly the same material. So, uh, so this was a mold that you 3D printed with FDM? Yes, and... I one of my biggest concerns was if the you know the striations of 3D printed molds if they would get in the way when when you try to pop the part out yes and it worked really well yeah. I I would recommend anyone who with the assistance of mold release yeah that's yeah. that's what I was for sure going to oh, say. sorry if <laughs> Didn't mean to if say. anyone wants to print a 3D mold well I mean sorry if anyone wants to 3D print a mold. Just use as much uh, how, how, mold, how release. mold release spray, yeah. and it'll make your life so, so easy. Right. And, I mean, admittedly, you're also making a, uh, a flexible part. Yes. You're not casting a rigid part. Yes. Right? So correct. if you're making a rigid part, I can imagine that 
this you becomes, need to have a flexible mold. You, exactly. You either have to have flexible mold, rigid part, or rigid mold, flexible part. Well, it depends on the... Or ejector pins. Mm, it depends more on the draft angles and um, shrinkage. Shrinkage factor. Yeah. You know, depending on the shape, if, if that shape combined with a shrinker factor shrink with a lot of shrinking that can just grasp to the mold and want release yeah you know? so it's it's a case by case and in this case we're not talking about something that has a particularly smooth surface either i mean this is almost a barbed surface for for molding and it's where deep it, with a rigid true. part it would just grip into that like velcro yes well our first mold i just couldn't get the the part out yeah remember uh, we mm -hmm. had to oh, destroy it yeah so lessons were learned <laughs> i uh i used to do uh tin casting as as some people know uh <laughs> one of my my very first job or my pardon me not my very first job my very first company was a tin smithing company hmm. and i would uh brace yourself go around to renaissance fairs set up a booth and sell chess sets and necklaces and pendants and stuff like that. That I where cast. are the pictures, Dan? Wow. Pics oh, or didn't pictures happen. or didn't yes. happen. Pictures yes. will be uploaded to the podcast notes. <laughs> so, uh, so yes, uh, this was what Dan did at the age of nineteen. Mm -hmm. Dan's entrepreneurial spirit uh, didn't stop there. <laughs> did not stop there. So I, uh, but what we used then, uh, unfortunately, I only know these names in German. It was a it was a material called silicon caoutchouc which is, I think it's something along the lines of RTV. Mm. And we would make, uh, my dad and I would make these molds out of silicone RTV and then use that to cast tin into it. And those molds did really well. I mean, they could hold really good fidelity and they lasted, I mean, probably for a good 50 castings before they'd start to break did down. Did you have to mix it? Was it like a two-part silicone or it just came uh, out in this one is when i was 19 magenta sorry my god uh which was five years ago exactly exactly you're trying to you know my my adult 26 year old brain can't 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 remember that stuff um no i i honestly don't remember i'm fairly certain it was a two-part uh amount i know like the the gasket rtv that we have here at the lab is in a squeeze yeah, that's tube that's just what i was imagining when um, you said but uh, but for the volume that you need to be able to make these molds, that was uh, they were. I imagine it Probably had to be two part. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So I've, I've honestly been thinking about that because it, this would be a fantastic facility to be able to do stuff like that. It's super easy to to three D print uh, my models now. That it would be easy to make these silicon molds again, and all you need is a propane torch. And a, mm -hmm. and a steel bowl to melt the tin. And I could get right back into the tinsmithing business. <laughs> that's cool. uh, because that's clearly what the world needs right now <laughs> is another tinsmith. You know what the world needs right now? A 3D printing that prints walks. A 3D printer that prints walks. That prints walks? Yes. Like Chinese walk? No, walks. Walks. Walks? W-A-X. Wax. Wax. Oh. <laughs> Wax. A mold that a 3D printer that prints wax. Yes. Why? I well, think that exists. It does. She's why? going to check her phone. <laughs> okay, but why wax? For um, metal casting. 
things like well, that. Well, we, we can CNC machinable wax, which is cool. And we which can a lot of people do. And we for can casting. we can also print burnout resin on the form labs. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, so they've got a they've got a resin where the model when you do the burnout of your mold uh, leaves no residue or ash behind. Hmm. It, it converts entirely to smoke and vapor. New 3D printer filament brings lost wax casting to your desktop. There you go. And you can do, I've heard people doing lost PLA uh, yeah, casting. Yeah, people did that in my foundry class. Yeah. It was toxic. Oh, toxic <laughs> as hell, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say AF, PLA, but... Um, PLA, I mean, PLA, PLA, harmless corn. PLA is not, <laughs> PLA is biodegradable. Uh, and there are many things about my body that are also biodegradable, <laughs> but I wouldn't want them burned anywhere near me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't remember if we had any requirements as to if it needed to be ABS or PLA. I think it was just ABS is, is it was the, all the contained one. anyways, but, um, so well, it was are. fine. It was within a, you know, a system where we wouldn't be breathing mm. the fumes, yeah. but it was it's pretty cool. Uh, let's see what else we got on the list here. Three um, D printer update. Yay! The lab is is mm-hmm. uh, back up and ru- well, it was back up and running until I come back and you guys had dismantled the the Taz mm-hmm. to get the mold. It wasn't out of use per se. It just needed to be put back plugged in yeah but the the print bed is kind of janky now yeah um so So we're excited to replace it with an upgrade yes we are upgrading the taz and then finally uh i can't think of anything else that we need at this point (coughs) i don't know i was thinking from a 3d printing standpoint okay i honestly if 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 god himself descended to earth and offered me a lathe right now where would i put it yes I have, against I have, that wall over there. Against that wall. Like we will knock a wall down to put a lathe in this place. I really, really want a lathe. Yeah. Uh, if you're listening, Father Christmas, bring me I a lathe. I think maybe this is just an opportunity to come up with a way to build a modular lathe that can be that can broken be... down and popped back up like nobody's business. Because that doesn't exist. I don't think it does. No, it certainly doesn't. Probably for yeah. very good reason. Oh, I didn't but... know if you were being... Um, I am not being facetious. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying a modular lathe that yeah. can be dismantled and placed away does not exist, most likely because... Yeah, but I do wonder if there's a way you could um, just keep the two ends separate. Mm, I, I mean, know it's tricky because you need them to spin at the mm, exact same... It's not so much that they need to spin, it's that the dead centers of both need to be exactly precisely yeah. aligned. But if there's a way to accomplish that, that'd be cool. Because then it just, you know, I mean, they could, could sort just, of smush together and then be pulled back apart. You just slide it off the ways, but ultimately that winds up being the problem is that there is some sort of travel between point A and point B, mm-hmm. and that travel needs to be a precision piece of steel. Yeah. Right? And exactly. where do you wind up putting that piece of precision steel? Yeah, on the roof. On the roof. <laughs> <laughs> you just put it outside in the alley. Yeah. Can't park in the alley, but you can store lathes there. Or you can just, yeah, put the whole lathe in the alley. So you went to a place to film today. Can you talk about that? Yes. How much time do we have left? I just want to check. Oh, that's quick. a good question. Because it's pretty exciting. And I don't want to get, well, I can give just a little spoiler or oh, teaser. We're, we're at 35 minutes, so go okay, ahead. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, today we went to... Um, RF film, uh, where they do, um, 
special they make special transmitters and um, special technology and rigs to be able to um, film for motion pictures uh, for pretty much all the big action shots whether it's um, going to be an aerial shot it needs to be attached to um, you know some sort of flying thing uh, or going to be attached to something moving at high speed so motorcycle car chase things like that um and the shot needs to be stabilized and the quality needs to be you know obviously super high quality and the director needs to be able to see these um shots as they're happening so that you're not wasting time going up into the air coming back hearing oh that wasn't the right one go back again so all this is transmitted wirelessly through um uh, radio frequency technology, and that's what RF film specializes in. So it was super exciting. We got to go to Whiteman um, uh, Airport. KWHP, Whiteman yes. Airport. <laughs> there yeah. you go. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm excited for when it gets all edited and completed and you all can see it. Um, but we have that coming up, and then I think um, we just wrapped up. Uh, was that? Oh, my gosh, was that this week or last week? That would be a lot if it happened this week. I can't even remember. Um, but we wrapped up our shoot at Caltech as mm. well recently. We went right. back so that we could capture the robotics competition that they just had um, to finish up our um, I think that was last week. There. Yeah. That was last week. Thank you. <laughs> it's all just blurring into one. Time is going by super fast. Right? I can't like the last couple of weeks. It's just bang, 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 bang. March. Yeah. It's insane. Um, but yeah, so we have a lot coming down the pipes for content and we're excited to be going um to san francisco next week to do another one i'm going to keep that under wraps till it comes out because i think it's pretty exciting where right. we get to tour um people can probably already guess if we're saying san francisco yeah. but we'll leave it uh, mysterious so, someplace yeah, on so, the bay yeah yeah um but yeah it's been great getting to check out all these shops and the different um contexts they're used in and different projects they're working on um and all the different industries that obviously fabrication plays a role in right. what was cool about our film um is that the way they use their shop a lot of the time is um sort of last minute customization they need to um or not even always last minute but you'll see in the video of course but i'll give a little um hint at sort of what they do so they have a shop on site at the airport so that they can um once they see the uh I guess the vehicles, would that be the right term? Yeah, they're working with um, how they'll need to rig things up and make, you know, little custom, mill little custom parts really quickly to help yeah. mount. And then they also develop a lot of um, new uh, tech there. Um, they're developing a camera right now, which is cool um, because as they get pulled on to these projects and have to solve problems, a lot of times, directors and things are coming with them like this is the shot we need how can we make this happen and they have to figure that out and a lot of times find a hole in the market or um that they need to fill and they have the best expertise for that so um uh greg also talked he's the one we talked to there he's he founded the company um and still works on pretty much all of the jobs there uh he was telling us um uh what was i gonna say he was telling us but yeah, they have the expertise and the best knowledge to know what needs to get developed when it comes to the new stuff they're working on. So, yeah. Um, so yeah Do they use stuff. 3D scanners to scan the vehicles where they're going to mount 
the um, fangs on? That's a good question. They don't do that, but he was talking about they're working with um, someone developing 3D scanning technology to capture 360 video, like cool. high quality 360 video, which is cool. Wow. Um, but they weren't really talking about it from a perspective of building a custom mm. mechanism or anything like that. Um, but yeah. Would you imagine how many pixels are there in a 360 video? It's well, for it's <laughs> movies. Funny like, that you should ask that question. I actually built a rig for the Deutsch ad agency, uh, which was designed to hold uh, one, two, three, four Canon uh, Mark somethings. I don't. I don't mm-hmm. know which which version it was. It wasn't the like the 60D. It wasn't the the your favorite word prosumer. Prosumer. <laughs> it wasn't the prosumer camera. It was the professional full yes. uh, full frame uh, digital camera. They would hold uh, four of those, and what they needed was to be able to hold three of them uh, at uh, sixty degrees to each other. So you imagine, you know, pointing pointing in three de- pointed at the corner of a of an equilateral triangle, mm-hmm. right? But have them also pointed thirty degrees down. Because they would have one that was pointed directly upwards. And then all of the cameras needed to be able to be fine-tuned in terms of position so that you could actually get them at exactly, you know, the right way so that you had the correct amount of overlap at the frames. And then they had some software that they had developed to take those frames and actually stitch them together. So you wound up with four, uh, you know, it wound up being... Each frame was a gigapixel, at least, you know. Uh, and they turned out really, really cool. They wound up taking that rig out to uh, to a couple places in the desert to film something with uh, uh, with National Geographic and Volkswagen, I think. Cool. Were um, you? Um, did you end up milling it out of aluminum? Or? Yeah, yeah. That was all. And did you have little? Was it like little tracks, just like a tripod, where they could? Yeah, so position, so the, how did you get that sort of micro? Um, so the first thing I did, so my my buddy Teddy works at Deutsch, and he called me up to ask me if it was it was this was one of the best requests I've ever gotten. He called me up and asks me if I can do something, but I can't say yes unless I guarantee that I can deliver it. <laughs> Uh, so he basically says, no I, yeah, I need you to do this very, very difficult thing. I need you to do it on a super tight timeline. Uh, and you can't agree to do it if Don't you tell can't me if do it's it. It's not really going to work. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which I mean, at least he's setting the expectation, yeah. right? So rather know at the beginning that that's the situation. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I thought that it was absolutely possible for something that we could do here. So I built a mock-up out of MDF and they came out to try out the angles. I 3d printed some, uh, some, some uh, spacers, some 30 degree spacers so that the so that the cameras would sit at the correct angle on the arms and then the rest of it I just laser cut out of MDF. I mean it only had to last for five minutes, mm-hmm. right? So that they could come out, take a couple of sample frames and match that in the stitching software, verify that it worked, and then I would build something out of aluminum that would be super robust. Uh, so they came out, they tried it, it worked great. And then, uh, and then I modeled all that up in Fusion and then spent all of Labor Day weekend machining it. <laughs> awesome. Uh, and then, cool. you know, as, as it would turn out, uh, you know, I'm looking at all these things that I milled and realized, like, I can't give it to them 
until I've gone through and I've used the fly cutter on everything and given it a nice mirror polish. <laughs> and that took probably another six hours of just sitting there and, you know, taking a thou off and a thou off and a thou off to make sure that I get this nice, perfect, super clean finish on it so that it looks, you know, super pro when I give it back to mm -hmm. them. Uh, but that was a, you know, that was a fairly complex build. Um, particularly because I was concerned about damaging the cameras. Like if I had some kind of, you know, rough surface on there, I don't want to, you know, these aren't cameras that they own. Yeah. Their office is right around the corner from Sammy's camera where everybody goes to rent photo, uh, photography equipment. So all of the stuff that they're getting is rented. And if they go and they, you know, they scuff it up or they scratch it or something, they're going to wind up paying for it. Yeah. So I had to make super clear or just, I had to take super care that everything would be really, really, really clean uh, no sharp edges on everything. I had to break the edge on everything with our uh, with our our chamfering tool. Uh, I even laser cut some cork and and glued that down on top of the aluminum where the camera would would actually mount onto it. I had to three D print some uh, some thirty degree jigs mm. so that I could actually mill that angle into the aluminum. I didn't have any uh, any angle uh, any precision angles back then that I could use. Um, yeah, that was, uh, that was a hell of a weekend. That was, that was all of Labor Day weekend in 2016 to make that. And we'll put pictures of that in the show notes. Um, cool. yeah, that was awesome. a lot of fun. Um, so we've got three things down here. Uh, it's getting a little late though. It's quarter after five. <laughs> uh, so Giovanni, you, you wrote these down. You've got three things, Theranos, Toys R Us, or blockchain for everyone. You get to pick one to talk to, about. I get to pick one. And if and blockchain isn't allowed. <laughs> that is the one I wanted to talk about. Really? Well, go go ahead. Talk about blockchain. <laughs> well, the thing is, Toys R Us, it's about nostalgia. <laughs> and blockchain, I recently learned why there's this extravaganza. Like everyone all of a sudden loves the blockchain and loves Bitcoin. And they turn out, Blockchain is the technology that enables, or the algorithm that enables Bitcoin, but you can have different coins for your companies, and you would think, why would you want that? It turns out, now nowadays, and, and this was explained by John, John Oliver. Oliver. Turns out, now you can issue your own company's cryptocurrency, and that becomes tokens that people who want to invest in your company, invest in the form of tokens that could be worthless or be worth a lot, but <laughs> everything under the, 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 the issuer's conditions. Right. So that's a very risky deal, and I just wanted to share that, that I, I have finally understood why <laughs> that frenzy, that, that craziness is happening right now. And if anyone, and I've seen that, you know, on LinkedIn and other places, your, well, not your, but some of my contacts, they're all of a sudden offering me cryptocurrencies for their companies. And I'm like, what? Well, I finally understand. And that's, that's what's going on. Yeah, it's a way, it's a, it's a, a new way of trying to raise funds for the operations of your, of your firm. Yes, but the disadvantage is you put money into uh, any given company that issues those coins, but you don't get a saying at all. And you don't have, protection you know under the law oh you you get uh you you get a certain amount of dan coin yes or geo or geo <laughs> coin geo coin sounds i'd invest in geo coin geo coin yeah on, on like, that probably already exists like geo coin probably <laughs> yeah 
or so, GIO coin might exist. So that, that was it. <laughs> it was a revelation. Mm -hmm. I came across a few events that were offering this kind of deal, and I didn't understand it fully until, until I saw that uh, John Oliver piece, and so that made an impression on me. On the show notes, it should have, or I mean, not in the show notes, the agenda, you should have said... Um, I watched, Geo discovers blockchain. Yeah, Geo discovers <laughs> blockchain, or <laughs> in the process of watching last week tonight, and wants to warn the community. <laughs> wants to warn the community. So uh, I think there is. I recently uh, learned of an interesting uh, coin token, whatever you want to call it, called Ripple, which is a software and a coin. And I am going. And right now, I guarantee you that. But the only other listener other than Drew is the cryptocurrency expert uh, that somehow has stumbled across our, our podcast. Anyway, Ripple is a uh, is some some form of cryptocurrency that's being used as a way to perform uh, high speed, uh, low cost financial transactions. So if you need to send money to Mexico, let's say, or to Abu Dhabi, let's say, uh, you would be Classic able to. Deal. Classic Geo, exactly. What Geo, <laughs> this is exactly what Geo does day in, uh, day out. Money he's, to Abu Dhabi he's, yeah, he's I always just, walk by his computer and he quickly tries to close it so I can't yeah, see exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. My transactions to yeah. Abu Dhabi. You're, you're just wiring it, money all over the world. Wiring the money to the United Arab Emirates, to Qatar, <laughs> to Abu Dhabi. Uh, it's totally sketchy what's going on here. Or maybe you know, you are you are funding the great technology ventures that are existing no, it turns out in the Persian Gulf. What really happened is I'm in touch with this Nigerian prince. Oh <laughs> yes. And he's he's offered to uh if you send him ten thousand dollars he'll make you a millionaire? It was actually a hundred thousand. Wow. Yeah. Wow, the price has gone up. But it's it'll be worth it. Uh he told me I, I I should keep going, and it's all going well. Good, good, good. <laughs> well, I'm sure that'll work out well for you. So, uh, so Ripple is this this uh, cryptocurrency that doesn't take its value from its ability to buy something or other, but from the value of uh, its usefulness as a transaction Quick, medium. Secure, which is uh, which is a different way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. um, that's not to say, I, obviously, I don't think anybody here is saying you should buy this or you should invest <laughs> in this. I think as a as a thing that does something, <laughs> I think it's interesting. Uh, not interesting well, enough to actually spend some money on it, but it's well, an interesting way of doing things. I am becoming increasingly skeptical about all this. I Speaking am in of interesting. Uh-oh. <laughs> How much time do we have? Wait, wait, wait. Let me check. We got nine minutes. Okay, awesome. I told Giovanni about this, but I don't think I told Dan. I saw an exhibit... Um, uh, last Friday night at Super Chief Gallery in LA where um, they were, it just made me think of it because you said interesting enough to be interesting but not interesting enough to buy <laughs> essentially um, where, uh, let me, I should know the actual artist. I'll get to that. But I'm showing Dan the video right now of what this was. They're super high fidelity silicone bodysuits. So from neck to um, waist, what the including hell? genitals, and um, no arms though. They're like sleeveless, and you can pay a hundred dollars to try one on for twenty minutes alone in like a dressing room, essentially a room full of mirrors. Yeah, is insane. The, I did the, not. The look of shock and horror on Dan's <laughs> face right now is palpable. I did not 
I was like, interesting, oh, but God. not interesting enough to try for $100 for 20 minutes. But so you could literally try someone else's body because these are based off real people's, not based <laughs> off of they're made from real people's um, bodies, like painted wow. silicone on them. Everything down to like the little back hairs. So uh, you pay 100 bucks. And the artist, you, let me find the artist. You put them quick. on, you get someone else's body. Mm-hmm. And... And you can look at yourself in their body for 20 minutes. Oh. Well. Uh, can, yeah. I choo- can I choose the body? <laughs> yes. That's, you get to choose the body. That's interesting. Where um, is the artist? Which body would Super you choose, Dan? <laughs> Let's not get into that. <laughs> my own. <laughs> I am comfortable in my body. Body suits by Sarah Sitkin. <laughs> That is that's that's on the border of uh, who's the guy that uh, it'll be up till. Let's see. What were you going to say? The the exhibit uh, body forms or something exhibit where the guy pumps corpses full of uh, of urethane. What? Yeah. And then uh, and and then you uh, the. And then you get like all the musculature and the and the circulatory system left over. Oh, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's up till the twenty fifth, yeah. though. If anybody wants to check it out. Uh, geez, you know, I unfortunately, I really, really want to. And however, um, <laughs> I have to do anything else for the next week. <laughs> we're out of time. Yeah, we and, and we are we are terribly uh, close to being out of time. Um, You're welcome. Thank you for that. Uh, what else do you guys want to talk about? That's it. Toys Hunter R Us. storage boxes. Toys R Us. Hunter's, Honestly, Hunter, been distracting me. For wow, the last I'm telling you that Hunter Hunter has gone. I heart storage boxes to uh, to the full OCD storage on this one mm-hmm. workbench over here. She gives me a very stern look. Uh, this this is some impressive organization that has just happened. Uh, and this is our opportunity to, uh, 22 boxes to, to plug the fact that, uh, that she has promised to join us next week, uh, to talk about, uh, some of the stuff that she's been working on. Uh, this is a, uh, an impressive array of, of storage that she's got going on here. How many, how many bins did she get? 22. Well, I don't know. If they're all sitting there, it's 22. If there's hidden ones, then there's more. Wow. That's a lot of bins. Yeah. That is uh, that is a rapid explosion of organization. Uh, anyway, so uh, <laughs> anything else? Nope. That's um, a, th- a thumbs good. up. Yeah, we get the, we get the visual indication from Magenta. Okay, so uh, trying to be subtle. We'll uh, we'll call it a day then. Thank you everybody for joining us. Thank you for joining me, Magenta and Giovanni. Uh, this is Daniel Hinch. Host of the Inside the Design Lab podcast coming to you from the Supply Frame Design Lab in Pasadena, California. And I was joined this week by Magenta Strongheart, Giovanni Salinas, and me, Daniel Hinch, saying goodbye. Thank you, everybody, for listening or to our one listener (laughs) remaining. Uh, Hopefully we'll be back next week. Thank you very much.